to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Well, last night in our Spectator's Guide to Jesus, we started to look at Jesus' surname, which, as I said last night, is not a surname at all. The word Christ is a title. It's an incredibly prestigious title. Christ, or Messiah, they're the same words, means anointed one. And it's a reference to the king promised in the Old Testament who would be anointed with all of God's power to teach and heal and rule the world. Judaism today is still waiting for this Messiah or Christ to come. In fact, as I also said last night, Orthodox Jews pray for the Messiah every single day, pleading God to send the Messiah. According to the Gospels, though, this anointed one has already come. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But this raises a question, and it's a question I'm very often asked, actually. Why didn't all the Jews in Jesus' day believe that he was the Messiah? Why were only thousands of ancient Jews convinced about him instead of hundreds of thousands or even millions? The answer lies in the fact that Jesus didn't fit the job description expected of the Messiah in the first century. Remember the words of the ancient prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 11. I quoted them last night, but let me read them again. He, the Messiah, will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. In Jesus' day, this prophecy was interpreted in military terms. The needy mentioned here were thought to be the oppressed Jews, and the wicked mentioned here were the occupying Romans. The breath of the Messiah's lips was thought to be his command to slay Israel's enemies, and the mention of rallying the nations to him was thought to be his subjugation of the entire world. Now, we know this is how many Jews in Jesus' day thought about the Messiah, because we have lots of their writings uh, from the period. The Christ, which the Jews in the first century were expecting, was a military king who would crush the occupying Romans and set up Israel as the superpower over the whole earth. Their Messiah would smash the sinners. But here's the thing. Jesus wanted to forgive sinners and transform them. Their ideal Messiah would lead a rebellion against the invaders, but Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. More than that, Jesus saw his lordship over the world not as a military conquest, but as an act of service and self-sacrifice. No wonder the Jews of his day didn't all flock to him. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, we learn that no sooner does Jesus accept the title Christ from the lips of Peter than he begins to explain that his role as the Christ is to die. Let me read the passage from Mark chapter 8. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus accepts the title Christ and then immediately explains that his mission is not to crush God's enemies, but to die for them and rise again. This was such a shocking novelty in first century Judaism that Peter, Jesus' chief disciple, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. I find that amazing. But Jesus responds with his own stinging rebuke in which he contrasts human ambitions for the Messiah with those of God. He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. When someone you've just named the Christ turns his back on you and says, get behind me, Satan, you know you've made a mistake. Peter must have been trembling. So great is Peter's misunderstanding of the Christ's mission that Jesus then calls the crowd together and makes clear that following him is not going to involve conquering the world. It's going to involve taking up a cross and following a crucified Messiah. Mark chapter 8 continues with these incredible words from Jesus. Let me read them to you. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me... And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The contrast here is between two ways of being the people of the Messiah. The first tries to gain the world, as Jesus says. Now, I need to say this isn't a reference to materialism. In historical context, it can only mean um, messianic imperialism. The attempt to conquer the world, conquer the nations, just as many Jews of the first century wanted the Messiah to do. But such a path, says Jesus, will result in losing your soul before God. Because the true way of belonging to the Messiah involves denying selfish ambitions like that and deciding to follow Jesus and his gospel of peace wherever they lead, to loving your enemies to doing good to your persecutors, and perhaps even to a cross. The climactic words about being ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, I don't think have to do with Christians feeling coy about their faith in a secular world. In their original setting, they must mean that following a crucified Messiah in a culture that wanted the Messiah to crucify the Romans was going to bring public shame. And disciples must be willing to bear that shame. In short, Jesus demands that we give up our private preferences and ambitions and entrust ourselves utterly to him, whatever it costs. That's what Jesus is asking for. Being the people of the Messiah involves absolute, unconditional loyalty to the one whom God has anointed as the Lord of all nations. A story is told, though I haven't been able to verify it yet, 
of a young soldier in the army of Alexander the Great, and three centuries or so before Jesus. As Alexander moved eastward toward India and conditions became bitterly difficult, soldiers began to desert from his army. Deserters were usually tracked down by a crack team of loyalists and executed on the spot. One such deserter, however, so this story goes, was captured by Alexander's men and brought before the king in what must have been a terrifying experience for a young soldier. Alexander is said to have spared this particular deserter, but not before asking him his name. The young soldier replied, I share the name of my king. I too am Alexander. Alexander the Great paused and replied in words that I can only imagine left their mark on the boy. Alexander said, Young man, you change your life or you change your name. You change your life or you change your name. Now in almost every respect, Jesus was utterly different from the all-conquering Alexander the Great. I mean, Jesus won the allegiance of the world not with a sword, but through his cross. But there is a logic in Alexander the Great's words that I find Christianly compelling. Calling myself a Christian involves sharing the name of the greatest king, doesn't it? I share the name Christ. I am a Christian. And such an honour must change my life. Bearing the name of the king will mean living in honour of the king. My petty preferences and ambitions will have to be laid at his feet as I take up my cross and follow him wherever it leads. For he is more than a teacher, more than a healer. He is the one God has anointed as the Lord of the world. He is the Christ. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.